Amen. I certainly enjoyed the ministry of music today. And as we prepared our hearts and worship, we've been worshiping. We're going to continue to worship through the Word of God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 15 as we continue through our series. We have a lot of ground to cover today, verses 22 to 35, but I only have two main points. And let me kind of illustrate that there is kind of a tension between these two that churches face today, even as the early church faced this same tension of truths. I illustrate it this way by something called facial recognition technology. Maybe you've heard of it. Facial recognition technology can identify people through cameras and through mapping out your face and can know all kinds of things about you that may be recorded. And uh, there's a lot of tension between the rights of personal privacy versus national security. Uh, you know, that could be, it could be really be useful, for instance, in airports to protect against terrorists sneaking in uh, and wreaking havoc. But on the other hand, it could be manipulated in a heavy-handed way by, by the government. There's actually some, uh, I was reading an article that expressed concern about some oppressive governments around the world that are now using this technology at major intersections, and they can tell how many times a day, what times a day, who is crossing those intersections. And the concern in the specific article that I was reading was about those that are part of house churches where it is not uh, approved by the government. You can get arrested and thrown in jail for attending a house church. And so part of the concern is, are they going to use this technology to track Believers as they're heading to uh, Bible studies and worship services and some of these house churches and that sort of a thing. And so again, in our country, while we're still kind of going through that, how are we going to apply that? And there are kind of advocates in these two truths in tension. We do need to have national security. This could be a great tool for this. But you also have on the other side of this, yeah, but this could also be wielded uh, for oppression against the American people by, by violating personal rights. And so there's, there's, there's uh, these two t truths that are in tension here. And we see two truths in tension here in Acts chapter 15 today. And the two are our main points. The first is we cannot compromise doctrinal purity. And yet the other truth intention is that we must seek to preserve church unity. There are some churches that are very strong and pursuing church unity, but they do so in such an abrasive manner they can actually turn people away from the gospel. And there are others that are so bent on and careful about preserving the unity within the congregation that they pass over certain passages of Scripture because they may be controversial and they don't want to offend anybody. And certainly we cannot and will not compromise the truth in doctrinal purity. Here at Berean Baptist Church, it is our commitment, it is my personal commitment as the, as the pastor to never compromise on the clear teaching and statements of the Word of God. It is also my commitment to teach and preach the Word of God with wisdom in a way that graciously proclaims the truth, does not avoid any controversial topic, but does not unnecessarily alienate people because of abrasiveness. So we're not going to shy away from preaching the truth because we cannot compromise biblical unity. Yet I believe there is a way in which we can wisely teach the truth while we seek to preserve church unity. I would say that that heart of mine would extend to all of our pastors who stand behind this pulpit and preach the word of God. Any guest preacher that we would have come in, 
that would be my heart to make sure that that is how uh, they have their uh, perspective or philosophy of ministry when they come here to minister the word of God. I trust that's the way that our Sunday school teachers teach the word of God in their Sunday school classes. And I'm thankful for our godly teachers who are so committed to study and to prepare to carefully preach the truth. We are challenged in the word of God. We're commanded to rightly divide the word of truth. And yet we saw in Ephesians chapter uh, four this morning in verses one through seven, that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Holy Spirit. And folks, there's a lot of doctrinal nonsense and weak theology that goes on under the guise of, well, this is what the Holy Spirit revealed to me. May I say to you right now that the Holy Spirit is the one who spake and the holy men of old, the prophets and the apostles wrote and spake the scriptures under the inspiration and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you a question. and I expect a verbal answer. Is God the Holy Spirit God? Yes. yes. Is God immutable? That is, does, is God unchanging? Yes. yes. So would the Holy Spirit tell somebody or lead somebody or reveal to somebody some knowledge, some claim to truth that does not line up with what he's already told us in Scripture? No. Okay. And so the Word of God is forever settled in heaven. It is the arbiter of truth. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And as we are yielded to the Spirit, and there's a lot that encompasses what it means to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, to be walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will always guide us according to the Word of God, which none of us know completely and perfectly yet, but we should be students of the Word, disciples of Jesus Christ, desiring to be led and taught of the Holy Spirit so that we know the Word of God and we live the Word of God and we minister the Word of God and we speak the truth in love. I think that's really one of the things we see here is truth and love. And sometimes these two seem to be within our culture and even within churches to have some sort of a dynamic tension. But really, I think that we should see, even under the Old Testament, do you realize that it was forbidden to put two different kinds of animal in the same yoke? That you have an ox, you have to have another ox. You can't put a donkey in there or a mule or something else. It had to be two oxen or it had to be two donkeys or two horses, whatever. It had to be the same. And I believe that truth and love are in the same yoke, pulling in the same direction. Because love without truth is pointless and truth without love is harsh and condemning. And so we see this here this morning. Let's get into our passage. Begin with me, if you would. We're going to begin in verse 22. The Bible says in verse 22, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church, that's a key phrase, to, to, to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. Now, we're going to do a little bit of review here, and we're going to read a couple of other excerpts from this chapter, just so for those of you that are guests with us, this will give you a little bit more of a context, and the rest of you that have been going through this series with us, this will kind of uh, remind you of some things um, that will help us put some context into this verse. Look at verses 8 to 11. 
And God, this is Peter speaking, God which knoweth the hearts bare them, speaking of the Gentiles' witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Now look at verses 18 and 19. Known unto God, this is James speaking, are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble them not, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. They're saying we cannot compromise doctrinal purity. Salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ. You remember that at the very beginning of the chapter, Judaizers went up from Jerusalem, traveled 300 miles up to Antioch in Syria to this church. Remember that Paul and Barnabas were some of the key ones. As a matter of fact, way back, we will remember that uh, the church at Jerusalem heard that men from Cyprus had gone over into Antioch and they were preaching the gospel and Gentiles were getting saved. And that, that news came back to the Jerusalem church. So they sent Barnabas up to verify that these Gentiles were born again. And as, as Barnabas goes up there to Antioch, he rejoices greatly to see the saving grace of God and that these Gentiles are saved. And now God is using them to spread the gospel to others within the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And so he's rejoicing. And as a matter of fact, as people are getting saved and they're being discipled, Barnabas says, I cannot do all. I cannot. I need help in the leadership of this church and the teaching of these people. So he leaves that busy work and he goes searching for Paul remembering that God had chosen Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So he brings him back. And these two had invested much in the church at Antioch. Over time, God sends them, Paul and Barnabas, with the approval of the church on their missionary endeavors in this trip, and they come back. So they had a lot invested at the church in Antioch. And it's discovered that these Judaizers had traveled up saying, uh-uh, you cannot be saved as a Gentile unless you are part of of the covenant of God under the law of Moses. Therefore, you must enter into that covenant relationship through the ritual of circumcision as spiritually symbolic. And as you come under the law of the ceremonial law of worship of the law of Moses, then you are now fit to, if we'd say this, a fit to apply for salvation. And of course, Paul and Barnabas strongly disagree. The church at Antioch sends a group to the Jerusalem church. The apostles meet together and the elders meet together. And they say, listen, this is the gospel. And we're going to declare this publicly throughout all of the churches. That salvation is only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul and Barnabas give testimony that God was saving Gentiles apart from the Gentiles first being under the covenant of the law. And there's clear evidence of that. Even Peter is referring back to Cornelius, saying, look, you remember 10, 12 years ago when I went back and God led me to go, very clearly, the, the vision up on the rooftop at noontime, uh, the vision of the clean and unclean animals, and then I went and, and I realized that God was saying, hey, listen, the Gentiles are also fit recipients for the gospel. Don't call them unclean or unfit for the gospel. And I went and I preached and they got saved and it was evident the Holy Spirit came upon them in the same evident way he came upon us at the day of Pentecost. And we, as, as evidence, as verification, a gift from God, a verification to the church as a whole that Gentiles are saved apart from the law. So that we cannot compromise doctrinal purity. So look at verse 23. 
And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren, which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. So they refer to the Gentiles as brethren, as the Gentiles as being brethren and as the Jewish believers being their brethren. So they are acknowledging that the Gentiles are believers that we are of the same kind, if you would. We are equals. We both have equal standing before God. That is, we have both received salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. So they, they emphasize, even in this one verse, twice, the word brethren. To make it clear to them, we recognize and acknowledge that you are saved. Okay? The whole church, going back to verse 22, it placed the apostles and elders with the whole church. But now look back in verse 6. And the apostles and elders came for, t- together for to consider this matter. But look in verse 5. But there rose up a certain sect of other Pharisees which believed, which said it's necessary that we circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. So the, the, here are the apostles, here are the elders. I believe the sect of the believing Pharisees were in on this. And they're discussing this together. So... When it says the whole church, it's talking about the whole church of Jerusalem, approves to send this letter. You know what that means? It means those believing Pharisees who had said, "Uh uh-uh, they've got to be circumcised and enter under the covenant of the law of Moses are now saying, you know what? Apostles and elders, you give biblical and you give external, clear, supernatural evidence or proof that the Gentiles are saved apart from circumcision or, and entering into the law of Moses. Therefore, we change to believe the truth. And we approve this letter. And I believe they were in agreement, the Jews in Jerusalem. That ought to be an admonition to us that we would humble ourselves. Because there may be something that you have learned, you've heard taught, or you in your own Bible study come to think is biblically accurate. But we need to have a spirit of humility to understand that we are finite, fallible creatures. We make mistakes. We're none of us know-it-alls. And we need to come with a humble spirit of, Lord, you know what? This is what I've thought, this is what I've assumed, or this is what I heard But as I study the scripture and as it is being explained to me and as I am studying and as I'm praying through it, you are showing me that that is not accurate. Lord, I will lay aside what I thought to be true to embrace what I now understand to be true. I'm not talking about us compromising doctrinal unity. I'm talking about us having a teachable spirit and a humble spirit that says, you know what? I was mistaken. I was wrong. This is what the scripture clearly teaches. If you ever hear me or anybody else from this pulpit preach something that you believe to be biblically inaccurate, I expect you as a brother or sister in Christ to come to me and share that with me so that we can explore the scriptures together so that we can Because there's one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's one scripture. And there's one meaning to God's truth. And we're going to come to that meaning and understand what it is. And it may be that we need to get up. I'll I'll never forget this. I was just a kid. 
And there was a missionary that came to the church. My dad planted a church in Anderson, South Carolina, Fellowship Baptist Church. He pastored it for five years, and then he went full-time evangelism. We were in that church for, um, oh, about another 10 years before we, there was a good fundamental church uh, in our hometown, and, and the Lord just directed us to go to that church instead. The church that my dad started is still going today and still faithful to the gospel. But I can remember on a Sunday night, I believe it was a Sunday night, that we had a missionary come in to present his ministry, and his ministry was to uh, the Jews, reaching the Jews with the gospel. And he made a statement that he said that God loves the Jews even more than he loves Christians because they're God's chosen people. And I can remember as a boy, maybe eight, nine, ten years old, thinking that's not right. And you know what? That next service on a Wednesday night, Pastor Riley got up and he said, what that missionary preached on Wednesday night was inaccurate. I studied it out because I'm not just going to shoot from the hip. I'm not just going to say something just because of what I think or believe to be true. I'm going to study it out to be sure. And he went through a whole study that evening from different passages showing us that that is not true, that we are one in Christ and that we are in equal standing before the Lord. And that God is no respecter of persons. And just as a kid, that made an indelible impression on my heart that I need to be sure to always check things against the word of God. And as I've been in ministry, my mind has often gone back to that to think, you know what, there may be something that I say sometime that's biblically inaccurate. I may have a misunderstanding. And I may need some help because uh, as the shepherd of this church, the under-shepherd under Christ, I'm to be following him and preaching his truth, but I'm fallible and I can make mistakes. And so if you hear something like that, please share that with me. If you believe that's true of a Sunday school teacher, and again, let me encourage you to do this in a personal way, in a private way, all right? Uh, but to be willing to, uh, to explore the matter with us. And maybe there's something where maybe you haven't learned it right, or maybe something we haven't learned it right, but we need to focus on God's word together. But we cannot compromise doctrinal purity. But I believe that these Pharisees, these believing Pharisees, changed their mind as part of this church and said, we are in agreement, we give our vote that this is right. And this letter, this statement is right. I think it's also interesting, look at verse 24. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. They disavowed the teaching of the Judaizers. All right? The word troubled means agitated. They agitated you, and subverting literally means to dismantle. Okay? It's like wrecking a house, tearing down a house. So they're, they're, they are wrecking, they're trying to tear down the gospel, your faith, your assurance of salvation, uh, and they've agitated you. This word, literally, this, this word for dismantling, subverting, literally came to mean to ravage or to lay waste. And they said, that's what they have tried to do. And we are here to tell you, we want no part of that. We disavow that. That is not accurate. And they put it in writing. I think this is also 
a great thing that they did in verses 25 and 26. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They endorsed the ministry of Barnabas and Paul. They said, hey, these guys, because they're the ones who are saying, hey, listen, without the law, without being circumcised and entering into the covenant of the law, Gentiles are being saved. We're preaching salvation by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. We'll stand for that. And the Jerusalem church says, we're in agreement with them. We endorse their ministry. These are godly men that are doing God's work and they're preaching the right thing. And they said, why for us to send some of our men along with them? They, the Gentiles also rejoice. Look at verse 31. When they had read, when they, which when they had read this letter, they rejoiced for the consolation. The Gentiles rejoiced. They were encouraged. Why? Well, it indicates that they understood that the church at Jerusalem acknowledged them as saved, as brothers, verified Paul and Barnabas' doctrinal stand, and they accepted then the admonition of verse 29. Look at verse 29, 28 and 29. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater or further burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from fornication. Again, for those of you that have not been with us, we recognize these as being four aspects of the same thing, which is idol worship. All right? So they're writing to the Gentile believers saying, listen, we know that you grew up culturally going to these festivals in which there is idolatrous uh, worship that is practiced. And though it's been a part of your culture, uh, this is something that needs to change. When you're saved, you need to live like a Christian, not like a pagan. Amen? And you know what, folks? There may be things that might be a part of our culture or part of your family tradition. And if it's in disagreement with the scripture, you need to depart from it. That's, right. that's the principle that's being given right here. Paul's saying, listen, you know what? You did these things. And I'm not going to go back and rehearse all the things strangled and from blood and all of that. I, I, I've kind of done that a couple of times. But all these different aspects of idol worship, you should have no part in it. I don't care if it's a part of your culture. And that, it's, it's incredible. You know how Satan is such an enemy. We shouldn't be ignorant of his devices. Isn't it amazing how, how Satan takes false religion, whether it's a pagan culture where they worship false gods or whether it's a more sophisticated false religion like you might find in Europe or some other part of the world and how he integrates those false doctrines in with the popular culture and festivals and festivities and all these other things so that when a person trusts Christ and turns from darkness to light, they are extracting themselves in a sense from those cultural observances. We're still to be in the world, but not of the world. We're still to reach forth into the world with love, but we cannot compromise doctrinal purity. And one of the things here is, look, salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But you cannot, Gentile Christians, give any uh, acknowledgement or concede in any way that there's any legitimacy to this idol worship. It is morally wrong. It's forbidden in Exodus chapter 20. Don't do this. And it's something that they were strongly admonished to do. 
But because the Jerusalem church said, look, we understand that you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to enter the law. You are saved by grace through faith alone. We recognize you as brethren. The believers not only were encouraged, but I believe it opened up their heart to receive this admonition for them to say, yes, that is right. We need to listen to this message. So again, you understand that this is done in a spirit of wise wisdom and love to preserve unity within the body of Christ, the Jerusalem church and the church at Antioch. But it is also to preserve doctrinal purity and they make clear statements about salvation here. And the second point is this, we must teach truth wisely seeking to preserve church unity. Look back at verse 24. For as much as we have heard, which certain went out from among us have troubled you with words. They acknowledged there was a problem. They said, hey, they went out from us. Now, we did not approve it. We didn't know this was happening, but they came from our church. And we want to acknowledge there's a problem. And, and there's a sense in which they're saying, we apologize that this happened. And these guys went out from us. We didn't know it. We didn't approve it. We, not, we did not send them, but we acknowledge that there is a problem. You know, again, what a great example of how believers ought to deal with one another. Or maybe sometimes even Bible preaching churches. You know, sometimes there are churches where, for whatever reason, maybe it's the color of the carpet, or somebody's third cousin didn't get taken on as a monthly missionary. And people leave a church and cause division and cause there to be a church split. And those two churches are in the same area, both preaching the gospel, both wanting to serve God, each one thinking the other one is wrong, can't be blessed of God, and they're going to be blessed of God. But I believe neither one of them are really going to be blessed of God in the way that they should be until they get things right with one another. Now, it could be that there is a doctrinal difference. And if there is a doctrinal difference, we cannot compromise doctrine. Now, it's interesting because we're going to be looking at next week, Lord willing, unless the rapture happens, which would be even greater, we're going to be looking at the sharp contention that happened between Paul and Barnabas and see what the pattern there is. Because this is, goes deeper and broader than just what I can cover this morning in this message. But they acknowledge there was a problem. And then they wrote a letter Say, well, why did they, they write and send a letter? They're sending these representatives. Have you ever heard the phrase, get it in writing? Yeah. And so in putting it in writing, one of the things that they're doing, because this, this is doctrine, and they want to make sure that people, their memories, because, you know, some people have faulty memories, and they insist that what they're remembering is absolutely accurate, right? Okay. And so, and that can even cause division, right? Because this group of people says, no, we remember this is what they said. No, these people said, no, we remember this is what they said. And, and they're in opposition, and that could cause some disunity. So you put it in writing so that everybody understands, so it's very clearly spoken, so that it can be actually reviewed as needed. But there's a clear statement in writing. It expresses the love of the church at Jerusalem, it, it explains clearly their stance on Bible doctrine. It also gives a clear admonition. Hey, listen, they write, we're not, we believe, and it pleased us as we're being led of the Holy Spirit. It pleases the Holy Spirit that we don't put anything further admonition on you than this. Don't be involved in idol worship. Don't go to the idolatrous 
festivities and cultural events that are linked uh, and associated with idol worship. So that others cannot come along later and say, well, no, wait a minute, um, you're misunderstanding, that is part of salvation. Or, uh, no, we also need to add this, uh, and this is implied and that's implied. No, there's clarity through that written letter. And so they clarify what they were saying. Um, it was evidence, it was proof, okay, that it's not just because, think of this, it was a bunch of Judaizers from the Jerusalem church that went up to Antioch and said, look, you've got to be circumcised and enter under the ceremonial law of Moses, or you can't be qualified to have eternal life, which, by the way, is wrong. Salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ. So if they only sent these two representatives that are named in our passage to go up to the Antioch church, when those guys come up, how would you know that they were sent under the auspices and authority of the Jerusalem church or if they weren't just reacting to what they heard the Judaizers were doing, so they're just on their own initiative going to come up and, and pick the other side of the fight and cause more problems. Well, you write an official letter, you send it by official representatives, and it's very clear. And again, it's protecting the unity of the church, not only at Jerusalem and between Jerusalem and Antioch, but at the church in Antioch itself. They sent Judas and Silas to represent the Jerusalem church, but they sent them along with Paul and Barnabas. Can you see what a a united front this presents? All right? Because Paul and Barnabas had taken this strong stand, and they were in the leadership of the church at Antioch, and Judas and Silas, they come up, and they come up together as a group. And so... Paul and Barnabas are verifying or validating these guys, and these guys are validating Paul and Barnabas together. You see, if they'd have only sent up Paul and Barnabas and sent them back, well, the Judaizers would have said, of course, what do you expect? I mean, Paul and Barnabas are the leaders of this church at Antioch. Of course, you know, that's, what's gonna, that's what they're going to say happened at the council in Jerusalem. How do we know? We weren't there. And so sending these representatives also verified the decision of the council of the elders and of the apostles at Jerusalem in this clear doctrinal statement. And again, this is for preserving unity. And then they communicated with the entire church. Look at verses 31 and 32. Excuse me, in verse 30. So when they were dismissed, that's as when... When Silas and Judas are sent along with Paul and Barnabas and the group that had come, that Jerusalem, uh, or excuse me, the Antioch group that came down to Jerusalem with Paul and Barnabas, as they all go back, as they are, as they are literally that word dismissed is not get out of here. It is they would have prayed with them and they would have, have, have asked God's blessing on them. They would have sent them off with their blessings. That was that word dismissed is to send away, but it's in a very positive way, not in the way we would use in our modern English thinking. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle. So they gathered all of the believers, and that would have taken some time, because this is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. This is a city of anywhere between half a million and three quarters of a million people. And so it took time to gather all the believers within the different, there were actually almost like four cities that had combined and grown into this one city at Antioch, and it continued to expand. And so there were believers in all of those quarters, so to bring them together, but there's great wisdom in bringing them together, reading this epistle, so they could all hear it together, they could understand it together, and, and as Judas and Silas then began to minister to them, 
uh, they were able to receive that and to see that these representatives from the church of Jerusalem truly had their best interest at heart. And they received great encouragement. They understood what was being taught and they received encouragement. And then look at verses 32 and 33. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. Now that word confirmed is not like in the denomination where you can't be saved unless the church officially recognizes you as being confirmed, okay? It's not talking about that. And it's talking about they're edifying, they are, they are helping them to be have assurance of their salvation, we might say, and, and assure them of the truths of the word of God and to strengthen them. A lot of times when you're discipling a believer, if you've ever gone through discipleship material, the very first lesson is a review of salvation. And it's kind of the idea is to make sure that person understands what they have done and what salvation is. It may be that they weren't so clear. They've not yet trusted Christ. And that's a great time before you start discipling them to make sure of that. And then the next lesson, a lot of times, is assurance of salvation. What is that doing? That's confirming in their heart what God has done through salvation as they understand it biblically. That's what these guys are doing with the Gentiles in confirming the truth that has been taught to them, even by Paul and Barnabas, by the other elders at the Antioch church. And they're encouraging, they're strengthening them. The Bible says they, began, they exhorted with many words. You know what? That is biblical admonition for pastors to preach long messages. <laughs> Exhorted them with many words. I'm kidding. All right. But the idea is that they took the time over a longer period of time to teach, to confirm what was being preached, to answer questions, to disciple to engage in the ministry. They were willing not only to invest themselves with the Jerusalem church, but these Jewish brethren coming up to Antioch to a church that was of a much higher percentage Gentile and to invest in them spiritually would have been very encouraging. They exhorted them, they challenged them, they taught them, and they worked hard to encourage them in the faith. And then the Bible says in verses 30, uh, 33 and 34 and 35, and after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles, notwithstanding it pleased silence to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And just out of verse 35, we get the sense that this Antioch church that had been so agitated and had been so troubled and their faith had been ravaged, it had been almost dismantled in some people's hearts. Now we see that they were edified, they were challenged, they were encouraged, that they were reestablished, standing firm in the faith and standing on the word of God, knowing that they are saved in relationship with Jesus Christ. And now they are free then to minister the word of God. There was a Christian camp that I preached in many years ago. And uh, this camp was actually a camp to inner city kids. And there was a counselor that came who'd, who'd studied um, at a Bible college to, for the ministry. Um, he had a master's degree. Um, he was working on his MDiv, which is a little further degree. And he came up uh, on one of the first nights of camp to me personally, he says, he said to me, Brother Todd, he says, I'm not sure I'm saved. 
I said, how many other pastors have you told this to, or preachers? He says, everyone that comes to camp and every one of my Bible professors in college. I said, and what do they take you to? He said, they take me back to the gospel. And I know the gospel, but I'm not sure I'm saved. I said, then there is nothing that I can really tell you that's going to be any different than what they've told you. The only thing that I encourage you to do is to invite the Spirit of God to illumine your heart and for you to accept by faith the truth of the Word of God. Not thinking that you have to be an, an expert in every minute detail of soteriology, that's the doctrine of salvation, but to simply make sure you have that personal faith relationship with Jesus Christ and accept that he loves you and has accepted you if you've called on him for salvation. And he shared with me this. He says, I have such a hard time as a counselor at a Christian camp or a camp trying to reach inner city kids with the gospel. I have a real hard time with that because I'm, I'm not sure I'm saved. So how can I help anybody else? And that's exactly the point of this illustration. It could be that there are people that are members of this church, been regularly attending for years. Every time the gospel is shared, you know it by heart, you could finish the next sentence or verse that whoever is sharing the gospel from behind this pulpit shares. You could do a gospel presentation to lead somebody else to faith in Jesus Christ. You know intellectually the knowledge of the gospel. But when the gospel is preached, there's a nagging doubt in your heart. And you're not sure. Let me just ask you, what is it that would be holding you back from the assurance of your salvation? Does, does God want you to be sure? 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may what? Know that you have eternal life. Not hope, not think. Know that you have eternal life. Is God a liar? What has Jesus promised? As many as received him, to them gave you power or authority, the right to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, John writes of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 10, 28, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Paul says in Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Stop trusting your intellect and trust in the Savior. Put your faith in him personally and let him save you. And maybe the reason you're hesitant to commit to ministry or to leading your family spiritually is because you yourself are wavering spiritually. And it could be you need to settle the matter of assurance of salvation. In a moment, when we stand, Pastor Blake will be at the back of the auditorium. You can go back to him and say, Pastor Blake, I'm just not absolutely sure I have eternal life. And I want to know. And we'll have somebody, a man with a man, a lady with a lady, they'll meet you in the back, they'll take you to a quiet place, and in a few minutes sit down and review the way of salvation with you. You can ask any questions, they'll answer them from the Word of God, and you can just simply put your faith in Jesus Christ. Trust Him to do what He promised to do.
It may be that there's some Christians here that are in a will struggle against God. There are some things that God forbids that you are practicing. There are some things God forbids you are not practicing. Either way, it's sin. And it's holding you back from being the spiritual leader that you need to be in your family or with your children or having ministry in your church or whatever it is. And let me encourage you. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and commit to walking in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and the commands of Scripture. And again, I just want to reiterate to you and hope that this encourages you that at Berean Baptist Church and as your pastor, so long as God allows me to be here, we will not compromise doctrinal purity, but we will seek to wisely teach the Word of God in a way that so far as we can, without compromise, does not threaten the unity of the body of Christ. And if you have concerns, if you have questions about what is being taught and preached here, please come and see one of us. We would be glad to sit down with you, explain our understanding, search the scriptures with you, and be sure that we are being true to the word of God and being led by his Holy Spirit. Shall we bow our heads this morning now for a word of prayer? I've explained the invitation, so in a moment after I pray, we'll stand with our heads bowed. Our pianist will play a hymn of invitation. His brothers and sisters in Christ, it may be that you need some biblical counsel or you just like someone to encourage you and to pray with you concerning some spiritual matter or struggle that you're going through. Maybe you need to set up counseling appointment with one of the pastors. You can go back and let Pastor Blake know about that as well. We'll have someone pray with you if you would like. If you need biblical counseling, you can be paired up with somebody who can do that, or we can set that up. We can set up an appointment with you if you would like to come and start meeting for regular biblical counseling. But please let that need be known as well. Let's pray, and then we'll stand with our heads bound, and please respond as God's Spirit has worked in your heart this morning. Father, thank you that you have given us your word, and it is clear. And those things which we know, those clear statements of Scripture, we cannot compromise. Because, Lord, you, your word comes from you, who you are. It not only explains who you are, but it comes out of the very essence of who you are. So we cannot compromise your truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're the way, the truth, and the, and the life. May we always be loyal to you and to your word. But may we also be willing to acknowledge when we're wrong and be taught by your spirit so that we can come in line with your word. For those who are unsure of their salvation, oh, Father, would you draw them to your son? Spirit, would you illumine their understanding? For those who are struggling but who are saved, may the spirit minister verses of assurance to their heart so that they can know. For those who are still struggling with doubt, may they not fear the face of man and be concerned about what people think, but rather... Know that someday they will face you in eternal judgment and they need to be prepared to meet you. So Lord, give them the grace and the courage to go get help even this morning. For my brothers and sisters in Christ, help us, Lord, as we teach and minister the word of God to do so lovingly and wisely and purposefully in a way that does not uh, threaten uh, the unity of the body of Christ while we seek to be loyal and uncompromising uh, in our commitment to your truth. And Lord, for those who are willfully disobeying commands of Scripture, who are saved, 
Lord, they will not have that peace. They'll be like the double-minded man, unstable in all their ways. Lord, may they come to a single-hearted devotion and obedience to you this morning. May they make that decision and, and move forward in serving you, living for you, and being spiritual leaders and being gospel ambassadors. And may this all be done for your glory. If only you can transform our lives through your supernatural grace. And we pray this in the merits and the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we stand? as the musicians begin to play. Would you respond at this time?